Hello, and welcome to our new podcast, which doesn't have a name yet. I'm Tyler, and I'm here with my co-host, Drew Riley. Uh, so this is our first episode ever. We don't really know how, uh, how this is going to work out yet. We're going to experiment with a few different formats over the first few episodes. So today what we're going to do is start with some quick intros so you know who we are, uh, and then we'll give some updates on what we've been working on and then uh, end with some deeper dives into a few topics. Just to give you a taste of what we're going to talk about, some of the topics include remote versus in-person work, the entrepreneurial operating system, and arcs versus loops. I found that last one especially interesting. This was a concept I hadn't heard of before, where uh, you can use a loop to kind of engage people endlessly versus a kind of story arc that engages people while the story's going on, but kind of loses interest when the story's over. So I uh, really liked that discussion. Um, all right, we're new to this, so please uh, send your feedback if you have any thoughts on good, bad, anything that should change. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. My handle is Tyler M. King, and Drew's is D-R-U-R-L-Y. Uh, all right, let's dive in. Well, uh, what's going on, Drew? Nothing much. This is our first episode. I'm excited. We just finished some formatting talk where it sounds like we're going to open up with some brief intros, and then we're going to cut to like a recap of our week and talk about some topics we drummed up. Yeah. And like disclaimer for anyone listening, this is all likely to like, we're probably going to be bad at this at first because we, this is the first time doing it. So uh, bear with us here, <laughs> but cool. Yeah. So for people who don't know about me or you, let's, let's each give an intro. Do you want to just like give your little spiel on who you are and what you do? Sure. So my name is Drew Riley. I'm a developer by trade. I've been working on a newsletter slash community called Trends VC for about a year and a half at this point. And it's aimed at bootstrapped entrepreneurs. Uh, we talk about topics such as no code, low code, profit sharing, DAOs, crypto. Nothing's at the nothing is off the table in terms of what we'll talk about. Uh, and yeah, we're just interested in like sort of the through lines, the meta trends, what connects these different topics, and what doesn't change. What can we invest in our effort, time, energy uh, for the long term? Uh, quite contrary to the name. So that's the elevator pitch. <laughs> cool. Do you see yourself as like a tech company, a media company, none of the above, all of the above? Probably more on the media side, just in terms of like models or reference points, because I have friends like you who run product businesses. And I think it's very, it's, a, it's an interesting opportunity to just sort of like build a product and keep iterating on that product. I think one thing that makes media businesses different is that whatever your publishing cadence is, you almost have to restart and keep up that same quality or else you're like dying. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's just a different type of like cadence. And that same downside, if you see it that way, is the opportunity to build proprietary distribution. Just by definition, like nobody has feature parity with Trends VC. That could be a good thing or a bad thing if it sucks, right? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's the downside and the upside, if you will. Interesting. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about like, even though I like, like I'm a customer of yours where I'm paying a subscription, but the product is more like a one-time sale and that you, you, you kind of start from scratch each week or each month. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. What about you? What's your, your 30 second or <laughs> a minute and a half if you're me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I'm the co-founder of a company called Less Annoying CRM. I started with my brother back in 2009. So we're not really like a startup, but there's like two versions of startup. One is a business model and one is like kind of a cultural norm now. And I think culturally we're a startup and 
from a business model standpoint, we're more like a small business, but we sell uh, basically soft CRM software, so customer relationship software to very small, low-tech businesses. So a lot of people in this space are selling to entrepreneurs and other tech companies and stuff like that. We're selling to insurance agents and five-person manufacturing companies and all those when you drive out in the suburbs and there's those office parks with companies you've never heard of. We're kind of selling to all of them. So uh, yeah, and like uh, just some topics that are interest uh, of interest to me, like I'm kind of past the point of how do you get your first 10 customers or whatever. Uh, Kind of management, culture, leadership type stuff is really interesting to me. Ongoing product management. Basically, like, how do you build a sustainable business once you've gotten past that crazy period at the beginning where you're not sure if you're going to live or die? One question I have for you, because we've done a lot of report reviews before, and we're always talking about business. Sometimes we'll get super philosophical, but that's still about business. I know you're Mm -hmm. passionate about St. Louis, but like, what are some hobbies or just outside of business, some things that get you excited? (laughs) I've got boring answers to this. I like snowboarding a lot, but I live in Missouri. So like, I only get to do that a couple times a year when I fly out West. Um, I like houseplants. The listeners can't see, but I've got like a wall of vines behind me. Uh, I have a dog. I, yeah, I don't know. Boring stuff. Oh, cocktail. The, with the pandemic, I got super into making bougie cocktails. Nice. Uh, whereas prior to that, I was more of like a Bud Light type of person. <laughs> nice. How about nice. you? Uh, I was with you on cocktails up until April of this year. It's funny, I'm going back to Mexico City on Friday, but the last time I had a drink, was on a mezcal tour in Mexico City. And I don't have like any bad bus stories where like, oh, like I was hung over and it was just like I woke up the next day and it's like, hmm, I'm gonna try not drinking for a week, now a month, and now it just is what it is. Huh. Uh, but I like battle rap and I'm not like a battle rapper. People usually assume that like, oh, you, you, you rap? No, I'm just like, I think it's underestimated as an art. I think that they, constantly create like new lyrical devices that if people loved English or fiction or any other sort of like written form of the word uh, and understood what battle rap was about, they would love it. Uh, I'm really interested in like habit development, just how do you build habits? How do you break habits and treating it as a system that you continually tweak? Um, And then like the stuff we always jam out on, of course, just business Mm -hmm. strategy, all of that. So yeah. Yeah, I have kind of like come to terms with the fact that my job is my main hobby. Um I've kind of struggled a little bit with like do I am I boring because I like my answer to my hobbies is like I sit on my couch with my wife and my dog, but I think like I get enough fulfillment and challenge out of work that mostly when I'm not working I kind of just want to relax. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh do you have any references for like a noob to battle rap getting into it? So I've been working on this for years. It's just like this essay that I have called the uh, Battle Rap Encyclopedia because there's a lot to like catch up on. Um, Man, I'll just have to like send you some things. But the thing about Battle Rap is that it take it it reformats your brain. Like you will miss ninety percent of things, and you can listen to Mm -hmm. one battle. 30 times and you're still picking up on new things, even once your ear is trained. It just moves so fast that um, I just think it's so underestimated. You're getting me excited talking about it, man. Yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, send, send me some links. I'd like to check it out. All right. All I know is like old Wild and Out episodes. That's my <laughs> my experience with yeah. it. <laughs> um, 
Cool. Well, should we dive into some topics here? Yeah, we could do topics. We could do a recap of last week, plans for this week, uh, just drive. Right, yeah. You say like. Cool. So yeah, because we're just going to experiment. We're going to record, we'll say more about this later, but we're going to record a bunch of different episodes with different formats and see what sticks. So uh, yeah, maybe updates and then topics. So yeah, what what happened? Uh, what's uh, We may record this bi-weekly, let's say. So in the last week or two, what's been going on with you? Okay. Yeah, I have the last week ready. So I'll just tee off of that. Uh, we wrapped up Q4 planning uh, just to give people a sort of like insight into the structure of TransVC. Uh, right now, it's just me. Someone else I work really closely with is uh, Ashwin, whose his title is operations assistant. And then we have a few developers that are contractors, designer that we work with on a contract basis. Um, but yeah, Ashwin and I wrapped up Q4 planning for this week. Uh, also set up like a support tool. We were between Front, Crisp, uh, basically like a shared messaging or shared inbox tools, if you will. And we ended up going with Crisp. Um, sold an NFT for Trends VC, and it's an experiment that we're trying to drop an NFT with each report. So it's just the visual behind it that illustrates that concept that I talked about earlier of the connections between the topics that we've talked about. So it just looks like this forced directed graph, but there's actually a lot of data behind it uh, that took time to like generate that image in D3JS. Um, and then flipped a lot of NFTs. We may talk about this later, but flipped yeah, I, a lot of NFTs this week. So uh, that was I, interesting. Yeah. I'm I like maybe you already know this. I'm gonna be such a hater on this topic. I'm ready for um, you. And I know you're you're like in the business of being an optimist, right? Like you can't <laughs> you can't write about new trends if you're not open minded about stuff. That's so, not uh, true though. That's not oh, quite really? true because we're talking about yield farming this week in a big angle and people who are still building protocols and charger protocols. I might have to, I may have, have to worry about doxing myself because they may come for me. Cause I think a lot of this stuff <laughs> is actually just a Ponzi scheme and people that's, that's a big misconception where I'll reach out for report reviews and they'll say, Oh, I'm actually bearish. I will drop an interview that I have with someone who's bullish to talk to someone who's bearish. Uh, just because it's, it's not necessarily about pushing one angle or point of view over another. It's just about like, what's the realistic picture of this topic. If we come out short or bearish, we come out short or bearish. That just is what it is. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. And then for next week, uh, the plans are just to, it won't come out this way, but there's something I've been working on. It's like the state of trends VC, like past, present, and future. And it would be great to do this on a quarterly basis just to get more into the storytelling part of mm -hmm. things, uh, building out some internal tools that link into like payment providers so that uh, Ashwin can do more of the support task. And then we just talked about yield farming, but posting that to the next up channel where you and I, we've had some interesting discussions in the next up channel before. Cool. Sounds yeah. good. What about you? So, and is that, is that a pretty typical week for you? Like you, you're preparing con cause you put out a report about once a week, you're preparing content for that, but then you're also kind of working on the big, the business itself, which is more like big picture kind of uh, like, and I always struggle with how far out do you plan? Like, is it 10 mm -hmm. years? Is it three months? <laughs> but, uh, so, some level of that going on each week normally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a hell of a dance, especially we just talked about the sort of attributes of a media business because you do have that cadence that you have mm -hmm. to keep up, especially, and I'm still doing the writing myself, uh, and Q4 planning, a big thing for us is posting a role to try to build out a writing team so I can focus more on building the business out. Uh, and then last week was a bit of an exception because two or three times a year, there will be these gap weeks where uh, we went from doing weekly reports to twice a month reports. And on the first and third Thursday, 
So sometimes we'll have like these gap weeks and last week was a gap week. So, and this week is like my deep work week, no report due can focus on like building things out. But yeah, that, that kind of reminds me of like at first. So when I started less learning CRM, all product because I didn't have any employees or any customers to deal with. But like once you get customers, more and more of my time was spent doing customer service, which I think has more of the same cadence of like writing the report because it's like you got to do it right now. It matters in the moment and then you're done with it and you move on. Um, and yeah, hiring a support team to free up time for that deep work is is really it, it unlocks a lot of opportunity. So you're kind of heading in that direction because it's just you and Ashwin right now. Is that right? Yeah, technically, like that's who I do weekly. Oh, I forgot someone, Alex, who we work with on uh, just marketing, social media channels, things like that. And then Alex and I, we have like biweekly check ins. We don't work as closely just because there's like a clear contract in terms of what needs to be done. Whereas Ashwin is sort of like, I've heard like Reed Hoffman described as a firefighter at PayPal, where it's just like there's no Mm -hmm. telling. We're getting more predictability around this, where like Ashwin has Rock's long term priorities to run with this quarter. But it's very like his his schedule and his priorities sort of match mine in terms of I don't know what we're going to be dealing with this week. Aside from these mm-hmm. big long term things like delegating support, building a writing team out. The other things just are based on a mix of urgency and being opportunistic, like the NFT thing that came like a week and a half before it dropped. Where it's just like, OK, this is one opportunity with we make this one move. There are like seven or eight possible upsides. And I just love moves like that that we can make where it's hard to lose with them. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What about you? Um, Yeah. My week's been, I don't have nearly as many updates as you, but some of them do lead into my topics. So uh, maybe I'll give like a teaser and then, and then we can jump into topics because that's, yeah, that's the inspiration for them. Uh, One is we've been talking about what to do with the office at Less Annoying CRM. We have an office, uh, kind of contrary to like most of the businesses like us, you know, remote was really big even before the pandemic. Uh, we kind of, in a way, are swimming upstream by saying, no, we're going to do the in-person thing. Uh, we closed the office due to the pandemic, reopened it in May after everyone got vaccinated. Then we're in Missouri where like the Delta variant's quite bad, or it was one of the early places to get hit pretty hard, so we closed it down again. Uh, now we're kind of talking about, is it time to get that open? <laughs> so I've just been kind of chatting with people about that. Um well, yeah, maybe can we just like talk about that, like go a little deeper in that and then I'll go back. Of course, to of course. Yeah. Do you, uh, you don't have an office, right? You just work from home basically. Yeah. And I didn't even realize, okay, I'll try to make, I make a lot of like parallel jumps. So I'll try to limit mm-hmm. those because people, it tends to confuse people, but uh, I'll just say yes. The short answer is yes. We don't have an office. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang on. No, now, now I want to hear it. What's your, what's your jump? My jump was, uh, is, okay, I, I warned you. It was listening to and doing all this research for uh, yield farming, which is a subset of like decentralized finance and hearing people with these new protocols, which are centralized and they come from this world of traditional finance. And they say like, oh, we're looking for people with a mix of like crypto experience and traditional experience. And I think it in some ways helps to know like how things were done in the old world so that you can like try to lobby those lessons, but it can also be a hindrance. And Mm -hmm. where I was going to jump with that was back to our point around having an office where we've done a decent amount of hiring. Like, I guess for me, like even with developers, contractors, of course, Ash and of course, Alex, and I didn't realize how much of a benefit it was to not be geographically constrained of 
it, the world is our oyster. It does not matter. And it's just like, we're looking for the skill set. We're looking for this culture fit. And I just couldn't imagine like being, I'm originally from Jacksonville, Florida, but saying like, oh, we have to find someone within Jacksonville, Florida. Like that's a hard like optimization problem. Yeah. Agreed. At the same time, you're, you're com- like, I'm only competing with people in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a sense you're competing with people worldwide, but I think uh, something that gets missed on like the Twitter narrative around this is people think every employee wants to be remote and they only come in person if they're forced to. I prefer remote. We started remote. And after we hired a few people, they more or less demanded uh, an in-person experience. So there are people out there that want to work locally and only competing with St. Louis because like, I love St. Louis. But if I'm being honest, the companies here, like the big companies are terrible. Mm-hmm. Like we're competing with Boeing uh, Express Scripts, Centene, you've probably never even heard of them before. Like it's, uh, being a big fish in a small pond has some perks. Yeah. I think though, like to your point, the key is we've really made our model around hiring entry level people that don't have the skills already. In your case, it sounds like you're looking for, I need an expert on this. I want them to be up, up and ready to go right away. I I agree. Remote would definitely be way easier for that. Yeah, this may not connect, but I'm going to go there. Like I go back to graduating college. I went to FSU and there was not a single Ruby on Rails position in Tallahassee. And that was my stack. But there wasn't mm-hmm. a single position. It's full of universities, full of government. .NET, sure. Ruby on Rails, no. So <laughs> I'm just comparing that to thinking about Jacksonville and sort of the type of people that we're looking for. And it's just like... I love Jacksonville. I will rep for Jacksonville all day and night. But with the type of person that we're looking for, want to live in Jacksonville. Don't at me, anybody that lives in Jacksonville. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. 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 Intr- well, we, we should dive into that uh, more in the in the future. Um, sure. But so, okay. We're <laughs> trying to decide, like, what's responsible for the office, you know? And it's tough because, like I said, like, just by pure accident, the employees listening serum for the most part are very like social in-person people. Um, and they're kind of like, I I'm of the opinion because I like remote work. I'm like, let's just ride this out. You know, let's, let's be as cautious as we can. And recently there's been more and more like, no, we need to get, and I should say the office is open. You can go in if you want, but like there's a mask mandate right now and stuff like that. Um, no, so most people aren't going in. No, like we need to open this up. Like I'm, I'm going crazy working from home. So trying to figure out how to balance that, you know, you sort of hinted at it. I can imagine some reasons they're going crazy, but what are some common reasons that people would prefer a, an office environment or even a hybrid environment? Yeah. And yeah. Okay. So let me talk about the hybrid thing first. Uh, our way going back post pandemic, what we did pre pandemic was one remote day per week. You get to choose when, what we realized with the pandemic is like remotes got a lot of perks can we give people more remote time? But the problem is if everyone's taking different days remote, then you go into the office and there's only like three people there and you hate the office environment. So we're switching to a model of Wednesday and Thursday, everyone's in the office. Monday, Tuesday, Friday are optional. So there's like a handful of people that go in every day, but it's it's more of a ghost town those other three days. Okay, so to your question, okay. A few people have expressed they're a lot more productive in the office. Fewer distractions and so on. People like the separation of work and home. Um, you know, it just, I think it keeps your home life feeling better if it's not, you don't think of it as your office. And I, but I think the biggest thing is they're just so, social people. They're extroverts, which is fun. Like I'm not at all. I could 
be go months like without ever talking to anyone and I think I'd be fine but we just coincidentally hired a group of people that really get energy from being around other humans and if they're at home all day alone it seems like they kind of get they're just tired and kind of like not as motivated hater alert so this is our first haters as a service <laughs> segment <laughs> I'm posing it as a question this is a gen- genuine question if we think about a co-working environment, like let's just vanilla, like say we work, for example, where mm-hmm. I, I totally get that you're more productive when you're around other people. Like it's it's harder to sort of like fuck off when you're like around other people. You just feel the pressure to be more productive. So check on that. They have a separation of work and home. This is a separate space. Perhaps it's closer to where they live at. So like less of a commute there. And then it's still social. Maybe they're not interacting with coworkers as much, but other people who are working at companies or perhaps, you know, doing their own thing, they're in this environment where they can socialize. If we sort of like think beyond those, it's not really objections, but if we think beyond that problem set, if this even satisfies that, what are some other reasons? Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. I, I need to ask about that. I know a couple of people tried that and, um, like, like basically they, they had been vaccinated or whatever. They were ready to go, uh, to the office like a month or two before, we reopened and and they did it. And my impression is like it helped, but it didn't get all the way there. I do think like, so I've just as an example, Justin Jackson, uh, one of the co-founders of Transistor FM lives in my, I've never heard of it other than him, Vernon, British Columbia. I think it's a pretty small town. I get the, he, he talks about this on his podcast. He goes into his co-working space and knows everybody there. Um, maybe that would work, but I don't think even St. Louis isn't a huge city, but it's big enough that, I think it's hard to meet everybody at a transient place like that. And I think they do value, they like the people they work with and so on, but building those longer term relationships, you're probably right though, that you could do it. Yeah. Your, your social part of your day doesn't necessarily have to be with the same people you work with. Yeah. And I think you have a point there. Cause I spent before I started nomading in February up until that point, I probably spent that whole year, uh, working out of a we work, and I still didn't meet everyone at that particular location. So I think you have a point. Mm-hmm. Where are you at right now? I'm in Medellin. I've been here for like a week and a half or two weeks. I'm here until Friday, and then Mexico City. Oh. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah, <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I I'm, I'm going to ask about that we work thing, uh, or yeah, the the co working thing, um, just to get people's reactions to that because I don't think I have a great answer to that. Cool. But at the same time, it benefits me. Like as the owner of the business, I'm like, you all want to be around each other. And in order to be happy, you need to be around your coworkers. Like, great. I'm not going to argue with that, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think you shared this before where you have a preference for the like in-person environment as well. So it's good to have that alignment. I, uh, I do as someone looking out for the company, Hmm. I think my, like if, if less annoying serum disappeared and I had to go get a job somewhere, I would look for a remote job. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mistook that. I don't know. We had, we had a conversation a few months ago where I took it as like, you had a preference for that as well, but that's good to know. Yeah. It's hard to, ah, I don't even, I'm so, I'm so on the fence, but I think my nature, I'm an introvert. I, I love working from home, but anyway, um, Yeah. That's that's what's been on my mind. Um, we've probably talked about that enough. You want to? You got any topics you want to <laughs> bring up? I'm, I'm looking at our topic list. I'm ready to jump in when you are. Uh, well, yeah, I'll, and then I'll just okay updates because that's what started with this. Um, 
We've got a leadership team meeting coming up. This is something in the early days of less knowing CRM. There are four people that are called like partners. And these are basically just the four first four people we hired. And we hired them early enough that we couldn't afford to pay market rates. So the partners basically share the profits of the business. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean every all the partners are like in leadership roles, though. Some of them are like my brother, my co-founder is an individual contributor. He he runs DevOps, but he's not like managing a team of people or anything like that. So for a long time, the partners were the uh, almost like the board of directors, so to speak. But over time, other people have moved into leadership roles that weren't in those first four people. And so we now have what we call the leadership team, which is that group. Um, so anyway, that's some context, but we're meeting on Thursday. We do this uh you know, two, three times a year. And so I've got to like prep for that. That's one of like, what are the big topics we want to discuss and all that? Uh, it actually works really nicely with this, this conversation we're having. Cause I had to think like, what are the, whatever I want to say to Drew is probably the same stuff I want to say to the leadership team. <laughs> I have um, a few questions there if you were. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, go for it. In terms of format. So there's big topics you want to discuss. Are there other like big agenda items format wise that you guys like to tackle? Um, so I'll admit this is kind of new. The, 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 we've been doing partner meetings for a long time. The leadership team is actually new as of this year. So I don't have a rhythm exactly, but I think there will be regular things like talk about hiring. You know, do, do we have the right balance of people at the company? Is anyone underperforming? Is anyone overperforming? And we need to do something to make sure we retain them. I think those will be some kind of routine things, but mostly it's going to be just the topic of the day. So we'll definitely talk about the office policy thing. Um, Product priority is like, that's kind of my next update here is like, uh, we've got enough developers now where we're actually getting stuff done fast enough that I'm like, oh, I can think, I can dream a little bit bigger about where the product's going to go. Um, so that's going to be one of the big topics, but it, it changes every time. It's just like, what are the really big things that the company needs to decide right now? Got it. Got it. And on topics, this is sort of on the fly since this is our first time recording, but I wonder if it'll be a good cadence if we sort of ping pong between like you yeah. bring up a topic, I throw one out. Uh, the topic, first topic I had up was the book Traction, which, yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. I, I, <laughs> I read your list and just like spaced out and missed that because I was like, I need to bring that up. Okay, yeah, yeah take it away. <laughs> no, it's, it's very much on the nose of this. So I think this is something that I might reread uh, before like every quarterly session that we have. When I say reread, it's like re-audible, <laughs> re-listen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I can sort of cheat. Uh, but yeah, I was asking that because I sort of had to go back through this process of, okay, what did we do last quarter? How did we structure that uh, meeting? One thing that helped this time around, and I can't remember whether we did this for Q3 or not, but sort of launching off with a recap for pick the period, right? It could be the last quarter last year. Like, what have we gotten done? Where are we trying to go? Uh, and it was just, you could just feel the energy change on the call of like, oh crap, we got a lot of, lot of stuff done. Uh, just like reading through that list. Um, but I brought it up just because a few things that Maybe I didn't miss the first time around, but didn't appreciate about the like suggestions in the book was the guy, Gino Wickman, the author of the book. He talks about meeting pulses and he has like these different systems of accountability. We'll talk about loops in a second, which is another topic that I have one here. Uh, but just about how it keeps everyone honest, where like if we set expectations and priorities a week before, two weeks before, pick the period, that meeting pulse for some reason, like a just, dis, dis, is it disproportionate? Like an outsized amount of things are going to get done like right before that meeting. So it's like mm. where you can have this pulse up to a reasonable limit, 
uh, like just the more accountable people are. Uh, just so, so let me make sure I understand yeah. that you're saying, okay, we've got a meeting in two weeks. I'm going to send out an email to everyone attending the meeting saying like, we need to have these things prepared for the meeting. And that's going to be motivation for all those people to have a really productive two weeks. Cause they don't want to go into that meeting feeling like they didn't get their stuff done or they're already behind before you even have the meeting, that type of thing. Essentially. Yes. And if you drag that out from two weeks to a month, you would expect velocity to drop, even though we could drop like a similar amount of things in that same meeting. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you have a cadence where like 80% of things are going to get done. And if that's the expectation or the velocity of the organization, the more you stretch that pulse out, the lower the pulse gets. And I never thought to like drag the metaphor out this long, but you don't yeah. want to like be a body and like have a pulse every three months or every <laughs> six months you're dead, <laughs> you know? So it's two um, weeks. Are they giving specific, like, I, I started reading that book and just, it's not that I didn't like it. I just am bad about reading, but uh, are they saying two weeks is like a good pulse? It's it's ironic because I spoke to uh, someone else who we both may know and I'll, I'll, I'll be upfront. Like I didn't like the book the first time I read it. It came maybe six months afterwards where I was willing to go through the pain of reading the book just because the problem of like disarray was so bad within Trends VC, the organization that like, it was like a sick patient that needed some medicine. And this was the medicine. And the complaint that I've had about the book was how prescriptive it's been, where it seems more angled towards like services businesses, if you had a training company or uh, a lawn service company. So you'll look at the scorecard and everything they suggest, and you're like, okay, like this is very opinionated. But funny enough, when it comes to the like meeting pulse or the cadence, that's the thing they don't have an opinion about. It's just like hmm. pick whatever is best for you. So it was sort of ironic uh, huh. that you mentioned that. And one more just note from it of something that I picked up this time around rereading it was uh, they've consulted or trained, I don't know, like thousands of organizations and said that they've noticed something that teams tend to sort of lose their direction after 90 days. And this is qualitative, but something that Ashwin mentioned on the call and on our check-in this morning was it was good to like have some sort of direction in terms of where we're going. So we're not just working week to week. We have these like longer term priorities that we can throw effort at knowing that those rocks won't change. So it was one thing rereading it in the book and that standing out and then qualitatively having someone mention that to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. I have a few thoughts on this. So one, the two week uh, cadence or uh, pulse reminds me a lot of, how most forms of agile development have come along. Is it like too abstract to describe the EOS entrepreneurial operating system? as It's almost like an agile approach to the whole business, it sounds like, in some ways. This is so funny, and Ashwin would laugh if he's listening, because <laughs> we've been having, it's not a battle, but we've been having this conversation because one thing they talk about in the EOS system is the danger of competing operating systems. And it sort of hmm. sounds religious, like, there should be no other God, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a possible way to take it. But I think that there's a good case to be made here that if you just have disarray, if you're like, okay, we're going we're gonna to do both of these things and we're going to do both of them 100%. So the mm-hmm. way I've been pitching Agile, because it's not as comprehensive as EOS, it goes into like 10-year target, three-year plans, one-year plan, uh, quarterly rocks. And then it has a scorecard component. It has an EOS score component. So it's much more comprehensive uh, I would compare it to sort of a like OKR system from Google, maybe more yeah. than Agile. And Agile can be a component. The way I've described it is like Agile can be a like hat or a watch, an accessory, but it can't 
compete with EOS just because it can't replace EOS. At some point, we can possibly discuss replacing EOS with OKRs or like the scaling up system from also from the book Rockefeller Habits. But I think it's sort of dangerous to uh, like try to replace EOS with like an incomplete system. We use Agile, but we mm-hmm. use our version of it and we use it to suit our purposes, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I hate the uh, like corporate version of Agile, like mm-hmm. Scrum or something like that, where it's like you have all these different titles. You have, you know, the uh, there's the Scrum Master and the... I don't know, the retro wizard or whatever their <laughs> titles are. But yeah, we, we do like the, the main thing I take away from it is uh, break, break things into two week chunks or it doesn't have to be two. But mm-hmm. what we did before, because this is how I like to code when I was the only coder, I was like, I'm going to design this whole you know six month project and I'm just going to start working on it. And that was fine. But then we started hiring people and they get completely overwhelmed by being like, I have no guardrails. I have no idea until six months is up, if I've if I've been productive, just breaking a bigger thing into little chunks to me is the main thing I took away from it. And it sounds like there's a lot more to EOS than that, but that's at least something they have in common. Yeah. And the go sort of fractal, we went and I didn't realize I thought it was a trivial decision at that time, but it absolutely wasn't. When we talked about cadence of do we do two weeks, do we do one week? And we just decided to go with one week. And I think it's sort of fractal because you talked about breaking things in the chunks, like the feedback loop is a lot faster, where issues Mm -hmm. get fixed a lot faster without necessarily feeling discomfort of like, oh, I should bring this up or, you know, this is urgent, but like it's not a showstopper. We can just add it to like our wildcard time and address that a lot sooner than it would be if we had a different cadence. Hmm, Cool. Yeah. Uh, I had another question and I lost it. Are you you're doing the whole like you're doing the EOS system formally, like you have rocks, you have your. Like all of it. Yeah. And a component of this is like the EOS score. And if it's answered, if this score rubric is answered in an intellectually honest way, you can sort of tell how far along an organization is by their score. So the one big thing, well, two big things that we don't necessarily have yet is that everyone doesn't have a number. Alex has a number. I have a number. Ashwin doesn't have a number yet. My intuition tells me it would be very similar to my number if he sort of stays in the same role because we work so closely together. Uh, The other part is that process-wise, we talk about like premature optimization in software development, but Mm -hmm. I think I would love to get your thoughts on this. I think there's such a thing as premature documentation as well. And we almost went down this path of if you don't have like a support team or fill in the role team, then maybe you're like wasting cycles, making this overly formalized process when it only needs to be kept in like one person's head, assuming that someone else in the organization knows vaguely how to do this thing, then it's okay that you don't necessarily need all of that documentation up front. And that's something that we got from EOS that we started chasing down that path. And it helped him understand more so like, okay, the operations just because he was forced to document it. But I also think we wasted a lot of time when you're still the only person doing this and you could just keep that domain expertise in your head. I have so first of all, I totally agree. Yeah. Um, and I have so many thoughts on this because I feel like uh, the written word is almost like fetishized in the startup world, which is like a lot of times great. And I write a lot and I do like documenting stuff. But yeah, to your point, like for, so two two problems with premature documentation. One is if things are changing constantly, the document's going to be wrong. And like it's actually doing more harm than good. So it's not until something really gets smoothed out and it's like, we've done this 20 times and it's been the same every time before I think you should document it. Um, and then the 
the other thought I have here is every startup or small business should be looking at like, what are the things we can do that a big business can't? Because if we don't leverage those things, we're just playing the game by their rules and they're going to win. Um, and one person being able to hold the whole thing in their head is like one of the few things that all small businesses and startups have in common. And if you're not taking advantage of that one way or another, if you're if you're following the same processes, like whether it's Scrum or whatever else that a big company's doing, it's like you're you're killing your advantage here. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to that point on the like drift is going to happen. Like that's inevitable that the documentation changes, but it's also a point that you made about the rate of change. Where Alex was responsible for some operation stuff before we bought, uh, before we brought Ashwin on board. And there were already implied differences. We had documentation, but it's like, yeah, ignore 50% of that because that's not how it's done. <laughs> and for some reason, I still missed the boat and didn't see the problem. I think I was just taking EOS on too literally. And at some point, we will get more documentation. And that's the reason why our EOS score isn't 90 right now. But it's just like, okay, that's a hit we've decided to take. And we know why we've decided to take that hit. And we'll be able to see when conditions change. And we should change that thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. I like that a lot. I'll I'll need to go back and I'll put EOS on my list again. Um, Cause I do think, you know, we're at 19 people now. I think we're, we've kind of like invented a lot of these concepts ourselves and it's mostly worked. And I don't think I would like to follow a strict set of rules someone else came up with, but I, I love learning them, incorporating what I like and also understanding what I don't like. Cause that's almost like competitive analysis. It's like everyone else is doing this thing and I'm going to understand how how it can be how it can fail basically. Exactly, and just to reiterate, I don't think that it's the best book in the world in terms of <laughs> oh, it's like well written, whatever. But if you have this pain of it feels like there's disarray or a lack of accountability, it's a very solid system. There's also an opportunity, and you can call it by a different name because they'll probably sue the pants off of you. But there's an <laughs> opportunity for like EOS for software businesses because mm. to your point about tweaks. We've had to make a lot of tweaks just because that system does not fit like the model or the attributes of this business. Um, so yeah, if you run a yeah. software business, just be prepared for that. Cool. Um, all right. Maybe I can uh, take on a topic here. Yep. Um, I don't expect, this is like kind of a high level topic. It's related to my update. I said, we're, we're talking about product priorities, but I don't expect us to like answer this question here, but I'm just interested in if you have any thoughts on like, I don't know, a framework for approaching it or how you'd think about it. So historically, we've, we're 12 years old as a company, and we really just got to the point where our team of developers can do more than just tread water. And what I mean by treading water is like, we're in a very competitive space, CRM. There's kind of inflation every year in terms of what the expectations are from customers that a CRM can do. And we were just, that, that's what I mean by treading water. We were just keeping up with inflation. We were just like, Customer expectations increase, we meet that demand, which meant we were never really doing anything all that strategic from a product standpoint. We're just, it's very obvious what customers want. We give, we give them what they want. Now we're getting a little bit bigger and we have maybe one or two developers that we can devote to like things we want instead of just responding exactly to customer requests. And there are two sets of these that I want to start doing that we haven't in the past. One is more intentional product-led growth. And, you know, we, Drew, we just talked about this, whatever, a month ago, um, because you did your report on product-led growth. We kind of have decent product-led growth, but it's always kind of been like, make a better, make the product, make your customers happy, and they'll share it. 
But I think we can be more intentional. So for example, there are certain features that our customers, maybe it's not the top feature they're asking for, but if we built it, it would help them share it with their customers. So for example, like if you schedule an event on our calendar right now, we don't send invites. It's really not the end of the, like, it's fine. Like customers are not demanding that we send invites, but if we did send invites, that would mean our customers are sending, having us send emails to all of their customers that could be good for our growth, right? Uh So that's one category. And then the other one is just long-term product strategy, which is like 20 years from now, I don't want to just be a simple CRM. I want to be something bigger than that. Our customers are never going to ask us to do that because like they think of us as a CRM. So anyway, we've got these three things, doing what customers want, product-like growth, long-term product strategy. And we're trying to figure out how do we devote resources to each of these three things. This is hard to share thoughts on because I feel like I know that you guys are much farther alone than I am. He and Shaw had this tweet. I don't know. It may have been a week ago at this point where I'm paraphrasing. It said like the first three to five years of any startup bootstrapped funded is just nuts. Like it's crazy. (laughs) And the fact that we in TransVC don't have support delegated, don't have a writing team, uh, and I'm still trying to work on the business. Uh, it's in that period where it's nuts. It's better than it was last year in terms of sanity, but it's still crazy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm just out of my depth in terms of talking about that. I can sort of speak to the like, not value stack, but like priority stack of the way I think about things right now of like, what are the priorities? Like I'm obsessed with simplifying operations where we have, I probably shoot down like 90% of requests just because they add complexity to operations. But I think a big part of that may be uh, the fact that they're like base hits that we just don't have to yeah. cover, like delegated support. But I would spin that into a question for you in terms of, you talked about some things that like long-term plans, product-led growth, like what's the order of these in terms of importance? Yeah, it's, it's a great question because it's tough. Like what I want is the long-term plans. That's what I care most about. But if we don't grow enough, we'll never get there. Um, and there's two ways to grow. I think one is to, one is defensive, which is give our customers what they want. One is offensive, which is those product led growth things. But like, if I could get the long-term strategy without doing either of those, that's what I would do. Mm. Cause I think the CRM, like we are for very, very simple, small businesses. And most of the improvements we can make to the CRM are almost like not in our nature. It's like we can do, we we are good enough for what our ideal customer needs now. It's just like expanding the the group of people that like us to make more money. But I I don't know. I I worry if we just keep working on the CRM, it's we're almost going to lose the thing that our current customers really like. Yeah. I'm obsessed with this idea of capital allocation. And I typically think that like we tend to think about money as just financial or just capital is financial capital, but it's like a resource allocation problem. Mm. And my mind goes to this. I know you don't like really dig interviews like that, but this interview uh, from the podcast Invest Like the Best, where the author from The Outsiders, he studied like supposed to be like eight of the best capital allocators as CEOs uh, and like tried to find the through lines in terms of their approach. Uh, and the book, I wasn't able to get through the book, but that was a really good uh, interview that he did. And I wonder if that could sort of hold insights in terms of like, hmm. how do you, in this scarce environment, you have a lim- limited amount of like energy, uh, not social capital, but like personnel capital. There's a better term for that. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, how do you allocate this? It could just help you think through those, uh, think through that. 
Yeah, interesting. Do you have, not to put you on the spot, but like, are there any like key concepts from that that you think could be applied here? I think about diminishing returns a lot, like even within, this is going personal, but I have this manifestation journal that I write down each night and it's like a text, the text version of a vision board, if you will. And I know that like net worth wise in terms of liquid net worth, there's a point, I don't optimize like a hundred percent for like financial outcomes now, but I know past this point, it's not even like two or three, it becomes like seven or eight on the list. So there's this point of like tipping points and diminishing returns of I guess turning this back on you, if in those three areas you could get to a point of like, here's our threshold where we're happy, or if we throw more energy, capital, financial capital, whatever at this thing, the drop off becomes like really steep. So it makes mm. more sense to put more air, more capital, whatever form it takes in this other area. So maybe that's a model you could sort of like put on it. Yeah, to riff off that, so that makes a lot of sense to me. And we've got like a similar thing with the um, on the customer service side of the business because customer service is hugely important to us. I think even though I'm a product person, if I'm being honest, like our real differentiator is customer service and, and probably products number two to most of our customers. But you can't like keep investing in it. There's kind of like a point where you're like, someone calls, we picked up the phone. Someone emails, we responded. The person who responded answered their question how like what else can you really do there? And so we've always kind of thought of this like we will spend as much on customer service as we can to meet demand, but there's no point in going beyond that. Whereas we could spend an unlimited amount on developers. Like if we had a hundred developers right now, we could find work for them to do. Um, and it sounds like maybe there's like subcategories within the product team. Yeah, let's meet customer demand to the point where like we've checked the boxes. But there's no point in investing beyond that or something like that. Um, yeah. yeah. Because there's better ways you can get like better returns in these other areas. Exactly. I almost wonder if like running a business is like an effort to get to the point where you have these resources freed up for these, I don't know, like investments, I guess I'll call it. Um, and that like maybe that's really the whole game is. And for 12 years, we haven't had any real extra surplus for this. But now we do. And it's like, can we optimize for even more of that? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm of that same mind. And another big thing I may have mentioned to you uh, that I think this will be true no matter what stage you're at. But playing this dance of like trying to understand systems and like tertiary effects, especially in areas like, for example, compensation, where you, you're dealing you're managing expectations as well of like you want to run this experiment. But how do you run this in a controlled way? And mm-hmm. like first of all, developing good judgment around, okay, what's the expected outcome? And then number two, turning these like possibly one-way doors into two-way doors and allowing yourself to back out. Because it just feels like at a certain point, I think in your case, much more than ours, like a seemingly simple decision could have like a lot of downstream effects, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well, that's that's actually more than I expected to get out of that conversation. (laughs) So thanks. Um, All right. Looks like we're uh, we could squeeze in one more topic if you want, or we could call it. What do you think? Uh, all right. I'm going to roll the dice and say we squeeze in one more. All right. Let's do uh, it. Uh, just to give listeners a like preview, we're looking at our topics list, and I have arcs and loops. There's a Trends Pro member, Probjute, who he's a developer by trade, amazing developer, but he also builds games. And we've talked about how those things are different of like, I can build cred apps versus I can build a game, mm-hmm. different skill set, different levels. 
but he's been really helpful in this component of TransVC where we have this uh, stand-up mechanism where it's like text-based stand-up. There are streaks that you can build. There are things that you can unlock, like access to Trans Tribe, access to masterminds. And we just released a leaderboard. Uh, so I've just been, ever since like our discussion, Prabhjit built the leaderboard uh, for us as a contractor. And yeah, ever since our like first conversation about standups as a game, I've been following him as he drops different resources that he comes around. And this is an essay from 2012 on arcs and loops. And they talk about game design. So a loop would be, if anybody's familiar with civilization, a loop is the one more term mechanism of you can just keep going and like, it's just a continual optimization problem. I wish I had a more like common example of, just imagine a game that never ends. You're in it for this turn. This turn is a world. That's what keeps you mm-hmm. going. A arc is more like a story of there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And what the author found was that when you have arcs, people get tired of those games sooner. Like we just like, okay, I reached it. Let me put this game down. And he took it to an extreme of what would a game look like if it just existed with loops and no arcs. Hmm. Bringing this into habit design, which I'm obsessed with, I've noticed that. So part of my like nightly ritual is to write down the manifestation journal, but I also have questions that I ask myself each night, like what went well, what could you have improved? And for a week or two, one of those questions was what's your net worth and what's the percentage, how far along are you to this net worth goal? And everything like became less fun that contributed towards that goal because I put it on this arc path of like, there's there we're right here in the store we're in the middle and there's an end to it as opposed to just saying like hey i'm gonna dollar cost average i'm gonna do shit that i enjoy and hopefully you know that creates value for people and you can create some you can capture some value from that and it just is this like endless system it's this endless game and i stopped doing that a few days before i came across this essay and i'm just like it all makes sense it's like an old essay it makes me think about a lot of things like how much good stuff is out there this is super esoteric but how much good stuff is out there that we're just not aware of like well written really high quality but never heard of this guy never came across his blog that's fascinating first of all i definitely experienced this with video games and coincidentally i've been playing civilization every mm-hmm. night with my wife mm-hmm. such a good game to play with uh, like you just hand we just hand the ipad back and forth nice <laughs> uh and then, yeah, I think about like I played Zelda, my favorite game ever, the, the Breath of the Wild uh, version, favorite game ever. And I accidentally beat it before I meant to. I like got to the end boss. I didn't realize I, that that's who it was. And uh, I won. And then I never I've never played it. I never, never touched the game ever again, even though it was my favorite one ever. So yeah. anyway, that, that resonates with me. So are you saying here you. You're you're using financial goals as the example. I assume this applies to lots of other stuff, but that like you want to be playing a loop based game rather than an arc based game when it comes to kind of financial goals and other types of ambition. Absolutely. And technically, I was doing both at that time, because, again, like dollar cost cost averaging, like I'm also a nerd about just anything personal finance. Uh, Mm -hmm. That stuff was running. But it's just the fact that the arc was introduced. This beginning, this end was introduced uh, in such a like way that called me out, it pulled me out of the game each night, right? Uh, yeah. I think that was like it, it did more harm than it did good for that period. Yeah, and I guess bringing this, this, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 take it away. I I've got so many it, thoughts on this. We're going to talk about okay. this in, in future episodes too. <laughs> okay, bringing it back to standups, I haven't figured. It's like a puzzle I'm trying to crack right now, and I need to talk to talk to Prop Jude about this. But after reading that. 
with the exception of masterminds, I wonder if we could uh, basically strip out every other arc based or arc related thing in standups. And the reason why I say with the exception of masterminds is because there is a such thing as like a there's like this ritual that you go through of like it's just a filtering function where you have to do a hundred a uh, hundred consecutive standups to get in masterminds. So there's a certain like quality mm-hmm. of person. There's certain things you can assume about these people. The fact that they've made it through that, it's hard to bullshit. It's time based. It's not political. You know, you can't <laughs> finesse your way in. You just have to show up and show up consistently, and that's how you get in. But the puzzle I'm trying to figure out is like, okay, if we just strip the arcs out of this system how do we maintain a similar filter and then like just keep everything else loop based? I don't know the answer to that, but I'm posing it as a question just in case you have any thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I'm maybe I'm like being too literal to what you were initially said about video games, but it does seem like they've got it figured out. And like, I don't know. Do you, do you play a lot of games? The only game I play these days, well, Civ and chess. I just got back in the chess. Mm. Yeah, because like the game that stands out to me when you talk about loops is Stardew Valley. Are you familiar with that one? No, I'm not. It's like it's got little mini arcs built in where like you can, for example, you're like a farmer in this little village and you can like date people and eventually get married and getting married is kind of the end of an arc sort of. Right. Um, So there are these little arcs within it, but really you're just planting corn or whatever and harvesting it and planting more and harvesting it. And yet it's this extremely engaging game. People play thousands of hours of it. Um, and like, and I like it. Uh, and I'm trying to think why, because I don't even care about the, the arcs, the marriage stuff. And I think it's just like, there's something very peaceful about building a little empire for yourself, you know? And it just gets better and better and better. And there's no... There's no point, <laughs> but like, yeah, taking the point away almost makes it more fun, more rewarding for some reason. Yeah. My mind jumped to like drugs and escapism, but we can cover that on a future episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there does have to be some kind of like to your, you want to reward the members of your community for engaging as a, you're gamifying it to make them want to keep engaging. Right. And you do have to give them something but that thing has to not end. So yeah, like and it could simply be, I think the leaderboard sort of changed, changed the game in a way of like it layered enough mechanics to where we can think about removing the arcs because there's like member of the day emails or members of the day where like three people who are most appreciated from that day uh, get shouted out in the email that goes out for each standup. And it really just goes back to accountability where projecting there was like this inconsistent stand-up group that was on indie hackers if i saw how powerful it was but it's like someone needed to organize it and mm-hmm. that person like may have may not or may not have shown up like once out of every couple of weeks like there may be a day missed uh and it's just that basic mechanic of this is what i'm gonna do did i do that yesterday you know i mean yeah did i do what i said i was gonna do this is my plan it's just like i feel like if you have that sort of community you can ask for help if you're struggling with something then it just increases your odds of succeeding. Yeah. yeah. Okay, two more. I, I'm not sure if these are going to connect, but two more random thoughts, and then I'll be done uh, talking here. So one is, I used to play fantasy football a lot, and I don't know if you've played that, but like, there's a winner at the end of the season, and what always happened was people would lose their first few games, and then they're like, well, I can't win at this point, and so then they would completely stop playing. Um, and one of the ways we fix this 
fix that in this league is kind of what you're talking about. We had a winner every week and you got like uh, a little bit of money. This was like a paid league, not a lot of money, but you got like 10 bucks if you won that week. And immediately everyone kept engaged the whole time, even if they knew they couldn't win the whole thing. sounds like you're already doing that pretty well. Um, the other comparison that came to mind is Peloton. Uh, and I imagine this is true for any kind of like fitness type app because it can't be an arc. I mean, I guess there's some fitness apps that are like, you know, run a 5k in 60 days or whatever, but like Peloton very much has to make it like, we're going to, you have to keep coming back every single time. And they do have a lot of like, they have a leaderboard, but I'm like 40,000 like ranked on the, you know, for any <laughs> individual class. I'm like, I'm, I'm not competing to be number one on the leading board, but they have other stuff. Like they give you a ranking of like what your heartbeat was for an exercise. And they're like, make your heartbeat faster than the last one. That's what you want to do. I wonder if there's some kind of parallel that you could pull off. Yeah. What you just did was you sort of like reassured me that we have like different fidelity, like varying levels of fidelity with feedback loops of one feedback loop is you post, you got feedback. If you had like anything you needed help with, that's like immediate. The end of that day, you find out if you were a member of the day, whether you are or not, like you're shouted out in the email on, we're kind of keeping this, uh, somebody's going to reverse engineer the system, but <laughs> some period, like there's a formula a method to the madness of the leaderboard. That's a different longer term fidelity. Um, and yeah, it sort of gives, it, it gives me confidence that we can remove every other art, but there is this sort of job to be done of standups as a filtering mechanism for masterminds, just to maintain that quality, uh, the sort of like rite of passage, if you will, uh, just trying to figure that out. And this may be like, if you remove an arc, you've increased the, this goes to our thing of diminishing returns. We may not remove all the arcs, but do you remove most of them? And that may be mm -hmm. good enough. I'm not sure yet. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. I'd, I'd love to hear an update on that if you uh, make any moves there. Cool, cool, cool. We'll surely give it. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, uh, this feels like a good place to wrap it up. How do you feel about that? Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good. All fun. right. Well, uh, normally I would say go to some website, but we don't have one yet. So if you liked this, I don't know, just tell us. Right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See you later. <laughs> See you later, man.